The reading this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 30. And that can be found on page 1179 in your church Bibles. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety." Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Well, if you are uh, a visitor, you're most welcome. And just to say that we are working our way through this book of Philippians, this great uh, letter to the church, and it has, I'm sure, uh, a word in season for us. True spirituality. Wouldn't it be good if, through either an instant experience or just to Press a button and out comes instant spirituality. Perfect Christian, mature, never to be tempted by pride or jealousy, never to have any sense of guilt, 
and to be entirely sanctified. Well, I have bad news. This side of heaven, that's not going to happen. That's no reason for not striving for that. There is no such thing as instant success or instant maturity. And our society is one of quick fix but long-term consequences which people find difficult to live with. I heard a story this week, I think, that illustrates it. Here is an American who lives in the remote part of the Appalachian Mountains. He is what the Americans call a hillbilly. He marries a girl just like himself. And in the course of time, they have a child. One child that God gave them, and they called him Junior. And in the course of time, when he became 13 years of age, they thought, it's time we took Junior into a big, big city. They, nor he, had ever been before. And after saving up, eventually they decide to travel some eight hours in their pickup right into a city, seeing the vast motorways, the lights, the cars. They pull into a hotel. The father says to his wife, whom he always called Mama, stay in the pickup. Junior and I go to check it out. They walk into this hotel, massive foyer with moving staircase, a big fountain and a vast, vast uh, lighting system and a chandelier that they'd never seen in their life before and people and music. And as they're looking at this, there's a ping goes behind this man and he looks and doors open and somebody walks out. And he says, Junior, look at this, look at this. People walking out, people walking in. Doors closing, doors opening. And just as he's observing this, this little old, rather wrinkled lady of the walking stick goes up to the door, presses the button. She walks in. Thirty seconds later, out walks this gorgeous blonde that he'd never seen in all his life. And he says, Junior, go and get Mama. Get her quick. I like that story. Go and get Mama. Instant, instant events just, it's a nice story, it just doesn't happen. Would that it did, perhaps, for all of us. You will hear of churches that do say that, but if you observe long enough, you will find that it isn't sustained. It is wishful thinking, which in itself isn't wrong. So the New Testament comes with realism to us and says... That in our society, we need to work at our salvation. So, with four um, brief headings, with two words each, from the passage itself, I borrowed that and I want to comment on them. And that's the sums. Very simple. You will see, for example, in verse 12 and 13, uh, Paul says to the church here, Okay, there's no instant sanctification, therefore... Work out your salvation. Work out. And then you will see in verse 16, he says to them, Now having received this faith, hold out. Hold it out so that the world can observe a dark world. Hold out the light of the gospel. And then he speaks about Christians giving themselves 
in service. And he uses this word from the Old Testament, poured out, poured out in sacrifice. And finally, uh, in verse 21, look out. You see them there, and uh, you can follow it yourself. Keep your Bible open, and you see what's the application. Most of the sermon today is application. In other words, you will know this is what it means. It's not complicated. And when you leave here, you will know this is what it says to me, and these are the things I'm going to have to do. It's one of those sermons today. There it is. Work out. Look at verse 12 and 13, for example. It's always worth uh, asking yourself, why does Paul link up this word therefore? Well, what's gone before and what's going to come after? And it's the link word. Therefore, in the light of what Jesus has done, don't sit back. In self-indulgence, work out your salvation. Work it out. Now, Let's ask the obvious question for a moment. Is Paul urging the Philippians to, as many people do, to say, try harder, Um, pray more, give more money, be kind, count up to ten before you open your mouth. All those things are good things, but he isn't saying that. He isn't saying that. He's not saying that you work for your salvation. He says you work it out. Work at it. You'll notice in chapter 1 and verse 6, he's already called them believers. They've come to faith. You see that. Being confident of this, here it is, when you come to faith, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ, either when the Lord comes or he calls us home. Right then. So they're already believers. They're not working for their salvation. They're working at it. They're working it out. And there's a danger that we can be so terribly passive in our Christian faith. He's urging these believers and us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Therefore, in the light of what he has done, work out your salvation. And it's a very humbling thing. And it's a very fearful thing. Because if you are going to do it, you'll know that you are the least person who deserves his grace at all. But you see the connection. The connection is this. There you have it in verses 6 to 11, the humility of Christ, this this, uh, didactic hymn, as we call it, instructing us, speaking about our emotions and our minds, dovetailing together, worship and obedience. Okay, the humility of Jesus, as, you, as it's summarized there, look in verse 8, for example, and being found in appearance of a man, this sovereign Lord humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, Jesus obeyed his Father's will. Christians obey Jesus' word. It's the only way you get things done. The only way. That's the connection. Obedience. Or put it another way. In verse 8, you have the humility of Jesus. He humbled himself. That is perhaps the most difficult thing for many of us to do, especially when we know each other. It's always harder to humble yourself with the people you know. It's no problem with the people you don't know because the people you know rub you up the wrong way or you rub them up the wrong way. But here you have the humility of Jesus in his obedience, in verse 8. Now you have the maturity of the believer in his or her obedience, verse 12. 
There it is. My dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Don't let this be a personality faith that depends on one person persuading you this way and one the next. No, whether Paul is there or not, their faith is rooted in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, with the introduction, no Christian reaches perfection in this life. Paul says that. Look at his struggles. How honest he was and helpful to us. Turn over a page to chapter 3 and look at verse 12. He urges them to press on. Don't sit back. Don't go into automatic pilot. Don't let go and let God. You know the way some people talk like that. No, he says, not that I, this is verse 12, chapter 3, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect or mature, but I press on to take hold of that for which he took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, I've questions in my life, I've unanswered prayers, I've problems, plenty, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Do you see what he's urging them to do? Work it out, work it out. So we're not working for it, we're working our salvation out, working it out. And how do you do that? By being obedient to God's word, by, by praying together, by keeping short accounts, by not holding up resentments, and trusting him for his grace. That's how we work it out. The second thing then is if... if He's worked this into us and we are working it out. Look, verse 16, this is the great privilege. It shouldn't be that we get all screwed up about talking about Jesus. Look at verse 16. As you hold out, he's told them to work out. Now he says, hold out, hold out. What's he saying here? Just look at this verse. You hold out the word of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Hold out. You hold out the word of life. The word of life. Do you see the context? It's this, it, it, you, we could miss it so simply. What a powerful sentence. Is this a word for you? Maybe it's become such an ingrained habit, perhaps in your family, with your parents, and now even unintentionally, you perpetuate this. What is it? Look at verse 14. The context of holding out, but before you do, something's got to happen. Do everything without complaining or arguing. What a difference it would make in our homes, with our families, with our colleagues at work. Isn't it so easy to be drawn into a culture of complaint that is habitual? Well, I think that is a word in season. That's the context. You cannot live healthy lives on the basis of such negatives. You can't. You can't. You can't kid people. They'll know. So what's the word of the Lord for us today on Remembrance Sunday? Stop it. You can break habits. Jesus can break strongholds that have perpetuated in our lives, perhaps with our parents. Don't do it. Of course, it becomes almost perverse that some people actually enjoy doing it. Hold out this word of life, but first and foremost, 
Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Hold out the word of life. Hold it out. Maybe inwardly now you've got to ask God to forgive you for constantly complaining when God has blessed you so much. How can you hold out, hold out this word of life when your, 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 your life is so shot through with guilt and your hands are filled with other things? Well, you can't, can you? Thinking positively as a Christian witness, perhaps even before you've spoken directly about Jesus, is a gloriously, gloriously attractive thing. Jesus put it in another way, didn't he? Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Kendrick was right with that wonderful hymn. Pity it's been rung out and sung too much. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill the land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Children of the light, holding it out, holding it out. You can't hold it out if you're full of negatives and your hands are full of other things. You can't, but you can if you allow the Lord to deal with those things, to deal with them. Verse 16 is a healthy apprehension. Run and walk for what? For nothing? Because again, look at this. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Why is Paul saying that? He's really saying, look, prove your faith. Work it out wherever you are. We, we're, we're miles apart. He's, he's imprisoned. Their church is struggling on. Prove to me that the gospel is real in your life. That when I was with you, that when I preached the gospel to you, it wasn't for nothing. That it's bearing fruit in your lives, in your communities and families. Hold it out. Hold it out. Hold it out. Thirdly, and this is perhaps where the rub comes. Poured out. Look at verse 17. I, I hope you can highlight these for yourself and, and, and try to think how it impacts you at this stage. Verse 17. But even if I am being poured out poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Now, what is this language? Well, it's the only cross-reference we have, and I want you, if you don't mind, to turn to the book of Numbers. Because what Paul does here, and it's very interesting that he should do this, here is a largely Gentile church, and he uses this um, Hebrew and Old Testament Example of offerings, of giving. And if you turn, sorry, the book of Numbers 15, uh, it's page 151 in the church Bible. If you've got a church Bible, 151, Numbers 15. Just stay with this because this phrase has, has no real uh, meaning to us unless we make this uh, link now, which Paul is making reference to. So Numbers chapter 15, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, After you enter the land, I'm going to give you as a home, and you present to the Lord offerings made by fire. In other words, when you give this to the Lord, you're not going to get it back. 
It's for keeps. It's not, you're not lending to the Lord. You're giving and that's the end of it. That's what he's saying. From the herd of the flock, as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, whether burnt offerings or sacrifices, for special vows or freewill offerings, or festival offerings, and so on and so forth. Right then, you've got the picture, this idea. Look at verse 6. With a ram prepare a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a third of a hin of oil and a third of a hin of wine as a drink offering. So what are you going to do with this wine? You're going to offer it as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It's, it's going the extra mile, if you like, in giving. Or look at verse 8. When you prepare a young bull, that's even much more sacrificial as a burnt offering or sacrifice for a special vow or a fellowship offering to the Lord. God's doing something in your life. You say, now, I want to give that back to you, Lord. Bring with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hin of oil. Also, bring a half in of wine as a drink offering. It will be an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Do you see that? So this wine, the best wine that you've got in the cellar, the one that you were keeping, you give it and you pour it out. And, and people would say, two views on that. What a terrible waste. What an awful waste. What a wonderful thing to do. Well, it depends, doesn't it? Depends on how much you value the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. Terrible waste or a fragrant offering, pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. You see it poured out. Now, notice beyond the ritual that Paul refers to is a deep relationship. See the next verse? So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Be glad and rejoice with me. Well, there you are then. I said it was a very practical uh, sermon, and it's this. Am I really prepared to sacrifice myself? Really? Or is my Christian faith a sort of a hobby? Something that uh, when I've got time, I'll get involved. Well, this is the language of sacrifice, isn't it? And we live in a very self centered society. So am I prepared to sacrifice myself for what? Well, for the sake of my fellow Christians, for example. You see Jesus Christ, and that's the point of making the connection. In Philippians 2 verse 6, who being in nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing. And we, we're catapulted into the language of sacrifice. Well, I say to you, I, I don't know about me for the moment, but um, am I prepared to sacrifice myself? Well, Jesus was. We, we have that. And clearly Paul was. I hope I am. Are you? Really? What a difference it makes. What a difference it makes. Am I prepared for that? And here, finally, the last one, and it's the, it's the great counter culture statement maybe it's a generalization but it's probably true then as it is now in verse 21 uh, to look out what does Paul say here to, to Timothy 
For everyone looks out for his own interests, not the things of Jesus Christ. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Self first. I mean, got to look after number one. If you don't, seriously, if you don't, who's going to? Now, most people live and die with that philosophy. Look after number one. But here's a great character trait in contrast. You see, okay, uh, um, verse 20, I have no one like him speaking about um, uh, Timothy here who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. In contrast, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Again, it's this language of looking out not just for number one. Self first or the service and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Are we just going to be successful survivors? Or are we going to be sacrificial givers looking out for others? Let's try to uh, conclude with what Paul does with three um, characters, if you like. Three people who deserve um, a response here. And this is, again, by way of application. Consider these special people. Number one. Now, this is the point. Think of us as a church for a moment. Think as much as, however much you've been involved in leadership or whatever. When God sends a Timothy into your life, into our lives, he expects us to relate to him. Every generation has unique challenges, no less ours. And if you don't work at it in terms of younger people, and that's what Timothy represents here, so easy to polarize. When God sends a Timothy into our fellowship, he expects us to relate to him. To relate to him. But then notice this very interesting as well within the church. When God sends an Epaphroditus to minister to us, Timothy representing the younger, the somewhat less mature, Epaphroditus, the more mature, the experienced, the well seasoned veteran in church life. If the Lord expects us to relate to Timothy's with all of their challenges, he expects us to respect Epaphroditus, however abrasive he may have to be from time to time. But then there's one, and he's kept the best till the last. The third special person for us to consider is one whose friendship is available to us all at any time and at every time. Jesus. Jesus comes into our fellowship 
out of his word, he encounters us as he's been doing today. And for sure, if we expect to relate to Timothy's and respect Epaphroditus, for sure, he expects us to receive Jesus Christ. Not just give him a good hearing, but open our hearts and our lives to him and receive him. And what transforms a community then is this, that with all of our richness and our differences, to as many as receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. I hope that the qualities of people that you can see, nobody has everything, of course, that in Timothy he has a servant heart, perhaps mature beyond his age. And it's very interesting with Epaphroditus. He's a risk taker. A risk taker. It's easy to criticize people who make mistakes. Especially when you don't do anything at all. Playing it safe. But in comes Jesus Christ. And he comes to us and says... This salvation, work it out. Work it out. This gospel, like a light in a dark place, hold it out. Hold it out. I wasn't sure if I had time for this illustration. I prepared this uh, sermon yesterday for my niece who is just submitting her almost 20 years of work as a radiographer with uh, the Institute of Cancer Research. And she just said to me, and it occurred to me this would be such an illustration today, so I'll use it, and it's this. The Institute has a circle. And around it, there is one person sort of holding out hand, and there are three dots that represent other people. And the point of this is that one in four people are going to have cancer. Well something isn't it but she said now they've had to revise that and they're thinking about now one in three what's the point what's the connection it's this just suppose just suppose for one moment that she discovers a remedy for cancer that ravages people's lives, children, young and old, and families, and so forth. Just suppose, just suppose. And she thinks, people don't really appreciate me, NHS, slogging my guts out, as some people say, not valued. I'll hide it. I'll keep it to myself. Wouldn't that be one monumental act of massive selfishness that could transform people's lives. Well, I say to you that is as nothing for people who do not hold out the word of life. For whatever the blessings of science and medicine are as nothing to this gospel that will take us one day into another life of which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor heart conceived what God 
is preparing for those who love him. Hold it out. And if necessary, even if people take advantage of you, pour out your life as living sacrifices, pleasing to God. And look out for others. Ask Jesus to save you, not only from your sins, but from yourself. And bring joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's why Paul writes to the church. And that's why that church was the gateway to Europe and to this country. And I hope that that's going to happen increasingly.